You're listening to the Get Out and Drive podcast with John Custom Car Nerd Meyer and Jason Old Car Guy Car. We'll be bringing you gearheads everything you never wanted to know about cars and why they should be on the road and not in your garage. Are you ready to get out and drive? Get those cars on the road October 2nd, 2022 to celebrate National Get Out and Drive Day. Visit nationalgetoutanddriveday.com for more info. All right, welcome back to the Get Out and Drive podcast. I am John, custom car nerd, Meyer. And I am Jason, old car guy car. We want to invite you to join us celebrating National Get Out and Drive Day on October 2nd, 2022. It's easy to celebrate. Just get out and drive. Grab your friends and family, hop in the car and hit the road. This year, National Get Out and Drive Day is partnering with the RPM Foundation to raise money to fund the education and training of future restoration and preservation professionals in the automotive industry. Visit getoutanddrive.com to get your free 2022 official event decal. Be sure to make a donation to the National Get Out and Drive Day fundraiser benefiting the RPM Foundation while you're there. Are Are you you ready ready to get get out and drive? drive? Guys, welcome back to another great detour episode of the get out and drive podcast my name is jason old car guy car i am john custom car nerd meyer john isn't it great when you pull in somewhere into a public setting that you don't want to be at and you find that one guy in the crowd who just knows a little bit of something that you like to talk about and within the matter of about five minutes you become like best friends you you can check you can see the car guy you cannot swing a stick and and you'll find a car guy somewhere car guys car girls it's all encompassing but absolutely you and can find them in a minute and that's part of you know when your wife drags you off or your, your your girlfriend or whatever drags you off into doing something you don't want to do and then all of a sudden you find that one guy and you're just like dude where have you been my whole life you're like i, I want to talk cars i want to talk this and that we just happen to have somebody here tonight that is that guy, and I'm pretty excited to start picking his brain. Carl Anthony, <laughs> welcome to the Get Out and Drive podcast. Oh, John and Jason, thank you for having me. And as we are fond of saying over at Automobile Blog, we came for the cars, but we stayed for the people. And the car business isn't really the car business. The car business is the people business. So you can always teach the car stuff. You know, you can always mentor the younger generation. Uh, you can always, you know, read a manual about cars or read a press release and, and learn more. But hey, it it's nothing without the people, right? The people provide the stories about the cars. That's what we do on Get Out and Drive podcast is to find out the stories and to find out why people care about cars. What drives you? So, Carl, go ahead and tell us a little bit about where you're from as far as the podcast community goes and what your background is in the automotive world. Yeah, sure. So uh, I grew up in rural Iowa, Northwest Iowa to be exact. And there's only three types of vehicles that exist in that section of the world. And that's a Dodge truck, a Chevy truck, and a Ford truck. (laughs) And you were one of those three. And and then maybe there was like a minivan, you know, because your parents had a minivan. But basically, you were a truck person. So went to a small college called Iowa Western, uh, which is in Council Bluffs, just the other side of the Missouri River from Omaha. 
I got a, a degree in radio and television. So I spent a good part of the early to mid 2000s in commercial radio around the Midwest, stations like KIWR, KEZO, KJN, Kello FM. Uh, and then I moved to Sioux Falls in 2009 just to be closer to family, and I started selling cars at Sioux Falls Ford. Uh, the dealership is still there in the city. It's part of the Rydell group of stores. And my really first introduction into selling cars, by the time I had done my training and had gotten my master certification, my really first time on the showroom floor was cash for clunkers. And what an experience that was that summer oh, in 2009. Wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. just, you know, kind of everything went belly up. And, you know, it was the first, this was my first time in the automotive business. So, you know, not being from Detroit, you know, Detroit was just, a, it, was a, it was a place on the news. Then in 2014, moved to Detroit, had the opportunity to be a dealer trainer with Ford. And at the time, my first project with Ford was going around to dealerships in, uh, all across the U.S. and training them on the launch of the 2015 F-150, which included the switch over from the steel body to the aluminum body. That led to dealer training work with Volvo, as well as Honda, when they relaunched the Ridgeline, when Volvo launched the XC90, and then for Mercedes-Benz as well, which is great, great experience. Short time after that, I ended up on Chevy's national truck team and Chevy's racing team. These are two large-scale experiential marketing programs that toured the United States. So you're talking state fairs, trade shows, NASCAR races, IndyCar races, any place you could put a Chevy vehicle. I was there with my colleagues, later joined FCA. It was, it was not Stellantis at the time. It was still FCA. And I was on their auto show. I was the Charger Challenger guy because I was from Detroit. So I was on the auto show circuit. Uh, was working automobile blog on the side, I guess you could say. It was something that I was not doing full-time. It felt like full-time, but it wasn't doing it like a full-time job. <laughs> you know, I was writing in hotel rooms as I was traveling, was writing on nights and weekends when I would get home. But uh, the site slowly grew. We have a wonderful team. Uh, so automobile blog is there, automoblog.net, because we're a very old site established in 2006. So we still have the .net, but we launched AutoVision News in 2020, which is really focused on the ADAS, future mobility, autonomous driving and electrification sector. And that leads me up to tonight where I'm with you fine gentlemen. And that's sort of the Reader's Digest version. Nice. <laughs> nice. Jason's got a bunch of uh, questions that we're going to ask you, and it'll be uh, rapid fire Love answers. It. We want to kind of loosen things up. We want to, you know, shake those hands off, uh, you know, relax a little bit. Okay. Carol Anthony, are you ready? I think I can handle this. I, okay. I, I really do. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Okay. So we're going to start off with favorite movie car. Oh, you guys are going to hate me for this because it's so obvious. Eleanor from Gone in 60 Seconds, the 2000 remake. I know it's totally obvious. Sorry. Who hired this guy? Who got this guy? Right. Paul, turn this off. <laughs> that that was my stay puff marshmallow man moment it just popped into my head and it wasn't supposed to and i know i should have oh, like harrison that's ford's okay. harrison that's ford's okay. vehicle in american graffiti sorry guys it's, no it's it's fine no. it is it's it's the, there's the car right there the fastest yeah. car in the valley so that's okay because we just gained about ten thousand followers so let's move on to the next question <laughs> uh your what is your favorite car movie my favorite car movie um, is uh, Winning, The Racing Life of Paul Newman. What was your first car? My first car was a 1991 Red Geostorm. What's your current car? 
2022 Hyundai Kona. What was the worst car you ever owned? Oh, 2014 Ford Focus had the transmission issue. <laughs> they still have that issue. Yeah. Um, Facebook Marketplace or eBay? I've never bought anything online. True story. There you go. So favorite music genre? Rock, definitely. Alternative rock. 90s man, I betcha. Yep, totally. Lithium, Sirius XM. There you like go. My jam. Yep. Anyways, uh, favorite actor? Oh, my word. I, sh I should have better prepared for this. Favorite actor? Man, I like Nicolas Cage. And there's the Gone in 60 Seconds thing again. LS, Emmy, or Coyote? Emmy. Last question. Back to the future. Mm -hmm. One, two, or three? First one. Absolutely. That is yes. the rapid fire questions. You nailed every single one of them, except for that music one about lithium on XM. Anyways, we'll forgive that. <laughs> Let's jump right into tonight's discussion. Thanks, Carl, for being such a sport. That is fantastic. And by the way, Eleanor is yellow. And what's but with not being able to duplicate a car that looks like Eleanor and call it Eleanor? Like, come on. Oh, oh, there's a big reason behind that, Jason. Yeah. You know, right? H.B. Halicki's wife, she owns everything having to do with the E car. I can't even say the word Eleanor and H.B. Halicki in the same sentence. She'll sue me. Um, but having everything to do with that, it's as bad as the Batmobile. And people were making so much money off of making gray Eleanor clone cars. She had to put a rein on it, and she did. And she found one company, and they are licensed to make Eleanor cars. It's terrible that this is the world that we've come to, that anybody on the planet can go out and make themselves a General Lee clone. Yeah. And everybody is accepting of it, as long as it's a 69. Well, sure. And not a 70, please. You know, Burt Reynolds' bandit car, the General mm -hmm. Lee the bullet. These are all iconic cars that people can go out and clone all they want, but yet you take one of the most movie famous cars, gone in 60 seconds, the, the E-car, yeah. and, and, and they poo-poo it. If I had a DeLorean to go back in time, just even a few minutes, I, I right. might change my answer here. No, because there's no changing. Oh, You get one shot. That's why it's rapid fire. And I blew, did I, blew, I, I blew it, didn't I? You didn't well, blow because I think there's a lot of guys out there who feel the same way that you There's do. a lot of people and it's an age issue. Okay. It's, it's okay. kind of an age issue. Cause I grew up, you know, watching the original gone in 60 seconds, uh, VHS, you know? So, so do you guys do this when you watch movies with cars in them? Like you're constantly evaluating where you're like, wait a second, those sound effects don't make sense. I, like, like I, I was watching, it was, it was in a hotel somewhere checking in one time when I was traveling on the road. I don't remember the TV show, but they had a TV on in the lobby and there was some chase and like the bad guy was driving a Toyota Tacoma, but as he would accelerate, there was a sound of a turbo and I'm right. like, Toyota Tacomas don't have turbos. So I, if there's ever a car movie or a movie with a car in it, like I am not the person you want to sit with because I'm constantly no. evaluating it. No, no, and and I know we've said it before. Uh, you watch the uh, the chase scene from the movie Bullet. Now, after the Mustang uh, crashes, and it it slides off the road for a bit, then he backs up and he keeps on going, and you hear the second gear pop, and right. then a the thing RPM. It keeps on going. That is the sound bite that they use in Smoking the Bandit. Really. Go back and listen to it 110%. Okay. It's not kind of sort of like it. It's ripped. It is the exact sound bite. Okay. So 
now that we're going down this rabbit hole. Oh, dude, so, go down the rabbit hole. Okay, I've got a shovel it. ahead of you. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Now that we're going down this rabbit hole, I, I, I want to pick your guys's brain here because a couple months back, we did an article on Automoblog that was the 10 best car movies on Amazon Prime. And let me just preface it by saying there's a lot of great car movies on Amazon Prime. So we said in the article, Tony Barraz, who wrote it, we just kind of said, look, this list is by no means exhaustive, Right. But we did not put Fast and Furious on it at all. One, because Tony hates that movie. So we said, like, look, if we're going to do any movie list for Automoblog, no Fast and Furious make it. That's kind of the unofficial rule. So sure. what do you guys think of that series? Fast and Furious? Yeah. I, I think it's slow and ridiculous. Right. And I've told my wife before, if you see video of me and I'm holding a Pepsi, watching right. the Fast and the Furious, secretly, that means I've been kidnapped. <laughs> well, I, I need I need to I need to chime in here and self-admittedly admit that I've probably watched up to you know, the, the first six. And that very much surprises me, Jason. So, well, you got to remember, I'm so much younger than you. I'm so much younger than you, John that uh, those movies appealed to my younger generation. No, I'm kidding. John and I aren't that far apart. But at the end of the day, oh, I, I think the me. idea, hear me out, behind the Fast and the Furious movies was to do exactly, to do exactly what we are doing here tonight on yeah. this podcast. And that is to get the image, uh, get the history or get the spirit of cars enlisted into the younger generation and i believe that yes. that's what that what that movie series did yes and will continue to do because apparently they're still going mm -hmm. but that's because kids 25 years younger than you and i aren't growing up loving cars like you and i did or like sure. we did and i think that that's what that series tried to do and to some degree i think they did it because my young fella who's 22 you know, grows up admiring the muscle car classics, but also the JDM quality of cars that came out of Japan that are all hot rotted and souped and the Supra mm -hmm. this and the, mm -hmm. like, so I'm not saying if it wasn't for that movie, it wouldn't have happened, but there's definitely a purpose for every single car movie made. And I believe that that was where that one came into play. Did I like those series of movies? Yeah, it was action-packed. And yes, just like we talked about when we interviewed Norman Altizer, uh, right. the movie guy, we sit there, we pick apart every movie when when oh, yeah. something was there a second ago, it's not now, or a car has white walls uh, when it should have had white letters or vice versa. Right. Our wives hate us for watching these movies because we're so analytical of this stuff. Right. And, you know, Jason, I, I think you're right because <sighs> – the last couple of years, if you look at the Haggerty bull market list, it does reflect the changing taste for collectors. So uh, older millennials and Gen Xers, they are gravitating. And I know how you guys talk about air quotes, right? So now I'm, I'm going to air quote here, but Gotta. They're, right, they're gravitating towards, quote, the cars of their youth, right? And the cars of their sure. youth are not Detroit muscle. They're not pre-war Packards, right? Mm. They're the cars like the Acura Integras and the Dodge Vipers of, of the world. So I think that there are a number of video games at that time that helped influence that. And so this new generation of collectors, they get a little bit older and they say, you know, that's my car, right? That's the car of my generation. And 
the collector car hobby is alive and well. And there were some rumors, I think, for a while that floated around. And I don't know where they came from. And maybe you guys heard this too, but that, you know, the the, the love of driving is dead or that, you know, and, and I just don't think that's true. I, I think when you look at these younger generations that are going after their version of collector cars, I, I think that it's like the, the, the hobby is just re-emerging in new ways. People are always going to love to drive. And at least, at least I hope so anyway. Yeah, I, I, I hope so too. And I can just remember that everyone's brain absolutely fell out when Hemmings had an Astro van. They had an 87 Astro van mm -hmm. and they put it on the cover of their magazine yeah. on purpose because they said this 1984 whatever it was, 84 or 87, Astrovan is now a collector car. Look, I know everyone wants to get out and drive, but it's been difficult with the price of gas lately. But get out and drive doesn't have to mean physically driving your ride. Get out and drive means sharing your auto repair skills with the next generation. Hashtag, what drives youth? Get out and drive means watching a classic road trip movie or something with a cool chase scene. Get out and drive means hosting a car show or a cruise. Get out and drive means working on that project car to get it ready to get out and drive. Get out and drive means get those toy cars, hot wheels, remote control cars and die casts and burn up the pavement. Get out and drive means supporting organizations that help keep the automotive industry and hobby alive. What does get out and drive mean to you? Let us know by leaving a message on our listener hotline just go to getoutanddrive.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and click the listener hotline button. John, it's great to have some awesome Drive Day ambassadors joining our team all the way up and down the East Coast. You know, we're heading inland. We're trying to make our way west. So if your name is not on this list and you want to be a Drive Day ambassador and you're out there somewhere in the Midwest or the Rockies or on the coast, let us know because we want to get some stickers and some stuff out to you to help us get the word out of National Get Out and Drive Day. We better get back on the original topic because, you yeah, know, better hurry up. Yeah, we, we, we're going to run out of time and we're make a detour got, on our detour episode. We're detouring on our detour. So uh, where we want to kind of go is we, we really want to start talking about um, you know, we all like to get out and drive, uh, but with today's gas prices, the, the, uh, availability of cars and all that stuff, um, pricing, uh, price gouging, the markups at the, at the dealerships, all that sort of thing. This is kind this is the topic of what we really want to get into. And you've been there, you're there, you're part of that conversation, likely on a daily basis. Uh, you know, as a used car dealer, mm -hmm. I can't buy anything. Because what new car trades are coming in, they're keeping the good stuff. Right. And right. us used car dealers, we're stuck with all the garbage and we're having to pay wicked amount of money for them. Okay. What are your thoughts on this whole um, lack of semiconductors, if that's what the problem is? Or like, where's your whole thought process on this car sales, car buying issue today? Yeah. So great question. And from my perspective, it's there's multiple layers that have probably been building for a long time. So, you know, our gremlin on the wing, as it were, is 
a lot of things all at one time. Semiconductor shortage is probably the most obvious thing that comes to mind after the pandemic where you see, and you saw it here in Detroit, just lots full of vehicles that were sitting just waiting. And you go, well, well, why are there so many? Well, because if you look at what automakers sell and what's in demand, it's higher trim levels. Higher trim levels are in demand and they have more stuff in them. You name it, it's the higher trim levels that sell and they require more semiconductor muscle, so to say. We've been accustomed to sort of negotiating for a final out the door price, right? And today it's not like that. You're basically paying MSRP for a new car. And I think for a lot of consumers, that is very jolting. Now, the reverse of that is that their trades are worth more than they ever have been, right? I would believe that we got way more money for our 2014 Ford Focus than what it was actually worth, right? So from a consumer perspective, there's some offset. Yes, you're going to be paying MSRP, but you're probably going to get more for your trade. And my fear is that it this may force some sales consultants to go into sort of an order-taking mode where they're not necessarily inclined to learn the safety systems. And this goes back to the episode you had a couple of weeks ago about safety systems, you know, where you had to educate the buyer about the brakes and the Dodge Neon, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, with advanced safety systems today, you need that education and then some, Right. If you're just an order taker, there's less of an incentive to have that happen. Now, everything that you're saying, totally deja vu for me. Let's let's rewind to 1991, 92, okay. yeah, with yeah, a little yeah. company called Saturn. Yeah, okay, I'm with you. Yeah. General Motors tried doing exactly what you're doing. I have a white one and a red one and a blue one and a green one. That is a coupe, that is a convertible. You know, or, or excuse me, that's a coupe, that's a wagon, that's whatever. Uh, this is how much it costs. Uh, there's a Pontiac Sunfire if you'd like to drive that one. There's a Honda Accord if you'd like to drive that one. They had four comparable vehicles in their category, and they said, we will let you drive not only a Saturn, but we'll let you drive these other vehicles, and then we'll let the cars decide what car you want to buy. If you want to purchase it, that is what this costs. These are the options. This is package A, this is package B, you get these six colors, get the hell out of my dealership. That's what General Motors did with Saturn. Do you think it worked? Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think that it did. And I think if you read Bob, Bob because Lutz, that was order that was an order taker situation. It, that it was most drive through. Was. You came through and you yes. said I like a number four with cheese and you, mm -hmm. you got a car. And Bob Lutz talks about this in his book, Car Guys Versus Bean Counters. I've got that book right here next to me. It's a great book. And he, he talks about how Saturn was never profitable for GM, despite there being, you know, high hopes and, and expectations for it, right? Yes. And John, you might be, you know, you might be looking for a different car than Jason is looking for, right? Like Jason might only need a base trim model truck, like that might be all he requires, you know? So, you know, that conversation is different than you if you're looking to purchase a three row SUV because you have to haul your kids and, and family. So they're talking about this thing right now. How do we have not just your typical used car salesman, but how do we have true product specialists at the dealership who can put meaning to all these packages and all this terminology without being, you know, forceful and being like, you know, okay, Jason, what's it going to take to get you in this car today? 
that system is gone. That system is outdated. That that system is is long gone. You realize that the dealership across the street, who's your competitor, they're in the same boat too. So there's not really an incentive to be customer centric. And again, I'm not picking on any one dealership, but this is this is the feedback that I have heard, you know, from our readers from Automa Blog. That's like I feel like the customer service has gone downhill. I think there's a, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned what transpired in the past, whether you're looking at Saturn, you know, whether you're looking at, and you guys talked about it in, in the last episode, you know, changing technology and educating mm-hmm. consumers with regard to that, right? Um, I think there's a lot of value in looking at automotive history and then understanding that the buyer who's up and coming is drastically different than you and me and probably drastically different than most people that read Automoblog on a daily basis and most people that listen to this podcast. It is a drastically different audience um, that it, that wants different things. How viable that system is in a new era is yet to be determined. And I think there's a lot of people that are looking at ways to you know, enhance how that customer interaction takes place. That's why a lot of this stuff is taking place online, you know, where you're you're doing 90% of the process online, then you're just going to the dealership simply to pick up the car, you know, or it gets delivered exactly. to your house. That's what right. I was going to say. You've got the Carvanas and the this and the that, that, you know, and this is a whole different rabbit hole that we could kind of trail down for quite a while um, is the, the, with the advent of online and people being more mm-hmm. comfortable to do uh, transactions online that we're moving in the direction of let's eliminate the sales people. Mm-hmm. Let's do selling direct. Right. And I think even I, I, I think I watched a video uh, about Ford almost entertaining that same idea with mm-hmm. electric vehicles in the future and change the way the consumer buys rather than go down that rabbit hole. Let's kind of <laughs> take a step back here yeah. for a second and, and talk a little bit about the actual cars themselves. We've talked about the technology that's coming out, the semiconductor shortage, uh, you know, all this type of problems that we're dealing with at dealerships, the, you know, the MSRPs being uh, sold over, you know, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 over MSRP. Market adjustments. Market adjustments. Don't get me started on market People adjustment. are buying this stuff. Is there a benefit to me, Joe Schmo, opening up racingjunk.com scrolling down through finding a car that I like and saying, Hmm, I wonder if I can buy that car that needs a little bit of work, fix it up and buy the parts I need on racingjunk.com and do whatever it is I got to do to make this car work, to make it more affordable to me. But if we're going to go and buy a used car that needs a little bit of tinkering that I can do myself, am I further ahead to buy that car, put a few bucks into it, continue adding value to it every year to keep it going as long as the condition stays well like how much further am i head by going and buying a, a 60 70 thousand dollar pickup truck mm-hmm. uh, versus buying one for say 10 grand and just doing some maintenance getting it running again if i am that guy who just needs basic transportation such a good question and i think that again i, I think that for the average automobile blog reader i think for the average listener of your program and viewer of your program it makes sense because they have some technical competencies already right so 
maybe they have parts already in the garage for it, right? Um, if they're a longtime GM person, they might have stuff lying around. So if they get an old, if they get a Silverado that's 10 years old, right, they may have stuff on hand. Uh, they may have experience working on those vehicles already. They may be able to get parts at a discount through, you know, a friend or so, or something like that. Um, so for some people, it may it it may be beneficial for them if they can do the work themselves and they don't mind trading the time for the money, right? For a majority of Americans who live in an apartment, they may not even have a garage, they might have a carport, they park outside, they're not super proficient with cars. Even if they have a trusted mechanic, it, it may take them a lot of money to fix because they got to pay somebody else to do it. If you've got the mechanical competencies, by all means, you know, by all means, you will probably come out ahead. And if you don't care about driving something late model, that's fine. I mean, my wife and I were in that boat. Our 2014 Ford Focus, it basically the, the wheels fell off of it. I mean, not literally, but that that basically we said, look, we're gonna drive this car till the wheels fell off of it. I mean, the, the transmission was hanging on by a thread, there, there was an oil leak, the struts were bad. I mean, it just it was time, right? But we were in that mindset of like, look, cars are so expensive. Unless we're absolutely forced into it, we are going to continue to baby our focus and just limp it along and, until we can't go on anymore. And sure enough, that happened. Hey, John, remember when we were kids, they had that little device that you pulled a cord on, it landed on a farm animal and made like a moo or a cluck? Oh, the CNSA. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool if they had something like that for cars? Dude, I think they do. It's, no got, way. Got, no, no, seriously, I got one right here. That sounds like a Viper. It is a Viper. You want to know what a Mustang sounds like? And no screams. No, no screams. You can't hear the crowd at all. Where would you get a book like that? This is this book that we have is called What Cars Say, written by Rachel Alfonso, uh, presented by Exotic Car Hacks. You can go to our website, getoutanddrive.com, and pick up a copy of your own. I'm going to head right over there right now. I think that's a fantastic idea. This is a great gift for kids or even adult children like myself. <laughs> this is fantastic. Teaches kids about cars, um, has... Uh, uh, a really good story and it tells about all the cars and again my favorite thing this one here Ooh, definitely Rolls Royce it is a Rolls Royce because you step on the throttle pedal and it costs you money every time this is fantastic I think it's time to update my Christmas list definitely go to getoutanddrive.com get your copy of what cars say our friends and the official marketplace of Get Out and Drive podcast, RacingJunk.com, are back with another giveaway. This time, they have teamed up with SW Performance to give away three lucky winners a $500 gift card. Make sure you head over to RacingJunk.com for contest details. Hey, John, focus. Focus? <laughs> they don't have good transmissions. <laughs> no, they don't. It's like. When they're always off. slipping. That's what I got a focus transmission. <laughs> yeah, you're always slipping. Yep. Your focus, for instance, at what point do we just say, you know, enough is enough? 
I just can't afford to put more money into it. I'm not going to get a great trade in value. Um, I'm not that mechanically inclined. Like you said, it's the right person, the right, whatever. At what point do we say enough is enough? I just, I can't, I've got to do something. Yeah. So I think that when it comes to major service bills that are not covered by warranty and you did not anticipate them, right? So this is different than in an owner's manual where there's a 50,000 mile service or a 70,000 mile service or even doing, you know, putting new tires on, which can be expensive. This is beyond that, right? This is, you know, a, a, a transmission failure. This is something catastrophic where it will be multiple thousands of dollars and unless you're 100% certain you're going to keep that car and you're going to essentially drive the wheels off of it and, and use every dollar of that service, right, um, you should cut your losses. And what's most likely going to happen is that because every, every dealership does this and every mechanic who's worth their salt will do this too, is they will do a multi-point inspection, right? And so with that catastrophic failure that that you're already in for, and, and minus the diagnostic fee of whatever that is, 150 bucks or whatever that is, they are going, they might very well come back and say, hey, you know, your front brakes are at three millimeters. There's another X number of dollars, right? And, you know, we took a look and those sway bar links, not looking great, right? So if you start to see repair, like it's just piling up, you do two things. You fix the car and then you literally drive the wheels off of it to get all of your money out of it or you cut your losses and you go brand new. Now, there are some advantages to both. So assuming your car is paid off and it's just an older car, you can take your service bill and you can divide it by 12 and you can say, okay, that's my new monthly payment, right? Um, but if that monthly payment is high, you know, then again, you might want to consider some, getting, getting something new. But the advantage is, is that you've got your car, you're comfortable with your car, you're confident with your car, you know it, you understand it. Um, and you don't have to worry about having something new. That point will depend, but if you're going to fix it, whether you're going to do the work yourself or whether you're going to pay a professional technician to do it, make sure that you don't trade it off within a year. You know what I mean? That you really, because you will never get that back on trade, make sure you drive the wheels off of it. So that's the breaking point for me. And that's what I used to tell people as a service advisor. I'd be like, look, okay, you know, new tires and front brakes and you're good for a while. I won't see you, I mean, barring something catastrophic happening, I won't see you until you're due for an oil change, right? Um, that's fine. That's livable. That's doable. But if you're looking at something where you're like, look, this is a down payment on a late model vehicle. And, you know, so if if somebody would go, well, yeah, I got a lot of miles on this vehicle, but I don't travel anymore for work. I don't commute anymore for work. I I, I live closer to where I work. I'm probably only driving about 8,000 miles a year. He just described every one of my cars. <laughs> <laughs> I was like two years ago. It was two. Oh, I'm sorry. Thanks, COVID. Uh, it was five years ago. Uh, I, I put a uh, $1,500 transmission in a uh, 94 Suburban that I paid 250 bucks for. Mm. That's just how I roll because I'm mechanically inclined. And now my newest car is a 1994 and I've got an 89 mm -hmm. Jeep. Um, and I think Joanne had to come in and correct you. As, oh, she as, did. She did. I had just year. gotten the, yes, I had just gotten the Jeep at that point. Um, and, uh, and, and she reminded me that it's an 89 
and we bought that vehicle specifically. It has manual locks, manual, uh, you know, it has power steering, power brakes, but manual locks and manual windows and fixable manual everything. Right. And and that's really it. That's the main reason we bought the car. Because we're like, do we spend a decent amount of money on this 89 Jeep? Or do we mm-hmm. spend a whole bunch of money on another vehicle that's got all the bells and whistles and it could break in a year? And some and some of my perspective, and maybe if it, if it helps your listeners and, and your viewers, sure. some of my perspective is that I'm coming from cars strictly as a commodity in this case. Oh, right? most certainly. You know what I mean? And 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 that I think is where we're heading with cars today. And I, and I think we've been that way for a while. I, I I have a friend who's like, I feel like cars today are like iPhones, right? That you just, after a couple of years, it just, you just go, okay, here, I'm going to get another one. Right. Planned and there's not the obsolescence. Right. And there, there's not so much of an, an emotional attachment, you know, so my, I guess my answer is really kind of more predicated on the fact that you have a car now and you're at that breaking point where there's a ton of repair bills, but you're not super emotionally attached to it. And you're like, okay, I'm just going to get something new. Right. But I will say, I now I, I will say this, like my favorite vehicle I've ever owned was my 2005 Ford Ranger. Okay. It's, it, it, it was an FX four. It's not anything that's going to make like a Haggerty hot list or anything like that, but you know, I ended up driving the wheels off that truck, you know, and I loved it. And the only reason why I got a new F one fifty is because by that time I was working at Sioux falls Ford. Like if I had that Ranger now, I would be like, yes, that was my first real Ford truck great memories in that truck. That was a truck I had all through college, you know, nothing special about it. It was just a gray Ford Ranger, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so if there's an emotional attachment there, then that's different, right? You know, if, if my daily, and if my daily driver was my 2005 Ranger, yeah, I would probably spend more money than I would for say yield Ford focus. Right. When my wife and I were just like, we're just ready to be done with this thing because it's just nickel and diming us to no ends. Right. It's, it's more of a financial decision. Okay. I'm not going to fix this. I'm going to get something new. That's got warranty. That's got better fuel economy, more safety features, et cetera, et cetera. So I got two points to make. So first one right out of the gate is I buy on emotion and it's hard not to Mm. do that. I buy it because I like the look, I like the style, the comfort, the whatever it happens to be. I buy on emotion. That's why I have too many vehicles and my wife gets mad at me. Um, but back to what John said about you know buying the 89 Jeep with the manual everything. I mean, to me, that's a smart buying decision to buying a, a vehicle with manual everything, especially a Jeep, because you need not to have to fix those things that fail regularly that Jeeps had yes. back in the 80s. So yeah, I, I get that. Today, I mean, everything, almost everything comes, power windows, power locks, and probably cruise control, tilt, all that as, as standard equipment. Yep. So if you're looking for the non-power nothing, you're, you're likely not gonna find it. So I think as we move forward in society, uh, you know, to find out what works best for us, is the car A gonna be a commodity? Is it just basic transportation? Is there a specific need for it? Do I need the GPS, the backup camera, the collision avoidance, the lane departure, blah, blah, blah. Right. right. Or am I mechanically inclined enough and knowledgeable enough to go out and buy that 25, 30-year-old relic 
that I can put a few bucks into, I can spend a, you know uh, some money on some tools and, and fix it myself and keep that thing going. But you know, like the idea is, is that the cars today are just cookie cuttered out. There's no, there's no uh, emotional value to a lot of people. It's just basic transportation, and it's to get them from point A to point B. And I think that a lot of the insight, Carl, that you shared with us tonight for our listeners um, is great information for them to move on and make some of those in, in, uh, informative decisions on. Am I buying on emotion? Am I buying for a necessity? Is it a specific purpose uh, on what I need, either this pickup or cargo van or minivan or little piss pot? Whatever it happens to be, right. is there a specific purpose in their mind? And I want to thank you for uh, enlightening us, for, for having that knowledge to share with us, because obviously John and I don't have it um, you know, to share with our listeners and, and having you be a part of that. And, and, and sharing that information, I think, is going to help people make a lot of well-informed decisions moving forward. So at the end of the day, folks, if you're inclined to learn more about what it is that uh, Carl has to offer, make sure you check out uh, Automoblog as well. As I, am I saying that right? Automoblog? Yes, that's correct. As well as uh, Autovision News, which might be a little more techie for you. But at the end of the day, make sure you check those guys out. Carl, any final thoughts that you have uh, before we uh, end this podcast? Yeah. and. I was so excited to come on and be with you guys because I know you're a true enthusiast. Uh, following you on LinkedIn, of course, listening to the to, to 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 the past episodes, it's wonderful to hear your perspective as enthusiast and and loving the older cars. Jason, as you were talking there for a second about you know cars being commodities and you know older versus newer. I'm I'm reminded of something I heard frequently on the road with Chevy truck team. You know, and I think there's a big disconnect with what automakers are saying in marketing and what's happening out in the real world when I'm going to go, you know, and again, this was part of our job was to take all that feedback, you know, back to headquarters. But I think there's a real, real big disconnect. I think sometimes between the glossy marketing, um, you know, and I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, you know, but between the glossy marketing and between what actually transpires in the real world. And once you're out in the real world, and you really talk to customers, you find that there's it, it's it's quite different, right? You know, yes, everybody wants a crew cab and everybody wants a nice truck with leather, but again, for a certain portion of the population, that's not what they need, right? They need something rugged, they need something durable that if if they drop a hammer or a crowbar in the back or they're, you know, I grew up on a farm, you you fix fence all the time, right? So you always have your, you know, you always have your fence supplies because you always have to fix fence, right? And where does that go? It goes in the better your truck. Right. I think you hear a lot of, you know, we've talked to call, we've talked to all of our customers. I don't doubt that you have, but you know, your cowboy Cadillacs are nice as they are, that is not the truck that's needed out in, you know, the heartland. So sorry, I just I'm passionate about this particular but, topic. And I and I see it and it's great. And then for us to have uh have the content is incredible. And thank you. So we'll yeah, uh, you're welcome. Well, again, Carl, it's great to have you be a part of this conversation. And uh, we're always learning. We're always wanting to learn and we want to share with our fellow viewers. Thank you for being a part of the Get Out and Drive podcast. Uh, you've been uh, an inspiration to those who are uh, eager uh, to jump into that next sale or to continue wrenching on that old beater. Uh, regardless of what you guys are going to do, uh, you know, make sure you have yourself 
the proper information to make an informed decision. That's all you're, uh, that's all we're really asking you. And, uh, you know, as we move forward, Carl, thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you a part of the podcast. My pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Jason, you like cruising around the internet, just uh, searching for projects that you don't need. You do that? I do. It's probably my second job. It is your second job. I know I get smacked all the time because I've got plenty of projects and uh, I, I, I secretly still look for things other than the things that are in my driveway. What's wrong with us? I don't know. It's definitely a sickness, but uh, you know, one of my favorite places to visit is racingjunk.com. I go there a lot. I probably shouldn't, but I go there a lot. It's it's like uh, a little little secret hideout. I get really good deals there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry I'm saying this on the podcast. I'm going to let out the secret, but I'm, I'm getting much better deals there than I am on uh, a lot of other websites. Yeah, and not only can you buy and get good deals, but you can also sell your own junk and put money right in your pocket. Yeah, that's right. They don't charge any transaction fees. Just 100% of what I make through my ad, I keep. Absolutely. So if your wife is at you to clean out your garage for spring, you can post all your junk on racingjunk.com. Wow. Well, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna stop talking now. I'm going to head out to the garage and uh, I'll, I'll probably be back in a little bit, but I'm going to head out and clean up some stuff. I know I've got a ton of stuff to sell. Start making money today. Get out in racingjunk.com. Sell your stuff. Get money. Stick it in your pocket. You know, Jason, we sure get to talk a lot. Yes, and some of us more than others. Who, me? I'm not pointing any fingers. Yes, you are. But we want to hear from our listeners. Just go to our website, getoutanddrive.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and click the listener hotline button. We want to hear from you. Cool stories, breakdown stories, questions, comments, hate mail, even hate mail, even hate mail. You got a car show in your area? Let us know. Tell us an interesting story. Let us know what you like to get out and drive. Speed over to our friends at racingjunk.com and sign up for a pro club membership. Use the code GETOUT to receive a discount when you sign up for a pro club membership. Cruise on over to our website, getoutanddrive.com, for all the info you never wanted to know about our podcast. Hit us up on our listener hotline, be the first to know what's happening, get industry news, and grab your Get Out and Drive merch. Connect with us on social media. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Follow us on Twitter at Get Out and Drive Pod. What drives you? you? 